You've got a thing for Guy Pearce and you like Fight Club and like... Because he's naked in this, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agreed with that far too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nolan is very famous for not being able to write particularly great female characters. So that is kind of like, I love his films a lot, but whenever there's a female in it, it's just a bit like, he's not learned, has he? <laughs> <laughs> It was physically painful watch, trying to force myself to engage with this last night. Hello, everyone. Joining Flix Watcher today, we have Daisy. Hello. Claire. Hi. And as always, Kobe. Hello. And we're here to talk about Memento. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Daisy and Claire. Over to you please, Claire, to tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hi, I'm Claire. I am a semi-retired film teacher and film critic, sometimes podcast co-host, creator, myself and other lovely guest on this episode, Daisy, hosts the W-Rated podcast where we watch the world's worst rated movies and we don't often get the opportunity to watch very highly rated movies like the one we're going to talk about today, which I know is a favourite of my lovely co-host, Daisy. Well, before we go to Daisy, you're a returning guest, Claire. You mm-hmm. came over Howl's Moving Castle beforehand and another episode which I forget, it's off my head. It was never really, sometimes, always. Yes. Well, there you go. I love a serious film. <laughs> it's, it's a good, I love that film. <laughs> so we asked you then, and I'm going to ask you again now. Mm-hmm. And that also can pass on to Daisy as well with this. Why watch bad films? <laughs> oh, it's 100% Daisy. It's all Daisy. And I think I said this last time too. But you're doing it to yourself as well. I just wanted Daisy to be my friend and I wanted the opportunity to have a podcast. God, it's like the worst hazing ever, isn't it? Well, to be my friend, you have to do this. Daisy was vulnerable and she had a really good concept and all she needed was someone with the knowledge of how to edit. And I'm not saying I'm a world-class editor, but I knew the basics and this is where we are now. Look at us now. (laughs) She still never edited an episode. (laughs) So, okay, Daisy, obviously you come up with the idea, but why did you pursue it? And why did you pull Claire in? So I love a list. (laughs) Sure. As many, many film people do. And since I've been into film, I've always tried to work through the top 250 and the other, you know, best of lists. But then I was just fascinated with the fact that as a database, IMDb thought it was a fantastic idea to showcase the worst rated films on the platform. And I was just like, this is just to me calling for people to dive in (laughs) and be like, what is this? Like Helen, you said something earlier where it was just like the real depths and murkiness or something like that of film. 
And it's yeah. just been a really fascinating journey, actually, once we've dived in, because we thought, oh, this could be something really interesting. Let's document it. But we've ended up going like really deep into some areas of like film history and like film criticism and understanding what reviewing means and everyone's perspectives. And yeah, it's just been really, really fascinating. I think the thing that I find fascinating is the role that like the time, place and media in the time in which the film was released can really sure. take over a film. The wider context of it all, it's just, yeah, super fascinating. So I think that kind of allows for the masochism of having to put ourselves through some really bad films. What kind of percentage, yeah, percentage or ratio of films are there because they are truly bad? versus ones which there's been a bit of a pile-on from film Twitter or film internets, and they've just, like, taken against a film, even though people may not have seen it. I think, to be honest, there's a running pattern of us saying, so there's kind of a reason, as well as this maybe not being a great film, why this is specifically on the bottom. Because the thing is with IMDb as well, is that with their bottom list, it has to have over 10,000 votes. So you're not going to get the worst films on there. You're only going to get the worst films that have been seen by a lot of people. And by that nature, it happens today where, you know, you have adaptions for things or you have things that have been developed in a way that people don't agree with or don't have the right people in, or they do have the right people in, people don't like it. There's so many, so much wider context to it all. I would say probably about, 60 to 70% of them have another reason or the only reason is that there's a backlash of some kind and it's not actually a bad film. Even if it's like a mediocre film, I would say only about like 20 to 30% are actually just straight up bad films. I'm not going to defend any of the films on the list and say they're the best films ever made, but most of them are mediocre rather than bad. There's an element that has made people turn against them and decide they're bad. I'm just having a little bit of a browse now. I mean, like, there are some good films. Cats is in there, I see. So you know. <laughs> The ones that I love are like Crossroads, Glitter, Brats, the female-led hashtag girly films where... Former, former pop stars. Yeah. The, yeah. The, we, we've discussed it previously on the podcast that unfortunately, especially at the time that a lot of these films were released, criticism was very much white male Western-led a white male man living in London isn't going to vibe with brats. It's aimed at 14-year-old girls. Of course you're going to say that's a terrible movie. Like, it's not for you. <laughs> well, hopefully the film we're talking about today isn't a terrible movie. Daisy, that was your choice, which is Memento. Can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it? And then, if you can, do a synopsis in less than 60 seconds. Well, you've got 60 seconds or less to tell us a synopsis, so do what you can. So first off, the reason I chose this is because I'm a bit of a film bro when it comes to my film tastes as self-proclaimed as part of the podcast. My favourite directors are Tarantino, Nolan, etc. But I'm happy with that. There is a real reason. I connect with them personally and I'll go into that a bit more in the podcast. But Memento is probably the earliest Nolan film that I've seen because I think there's one or two before that that I wasn't able to get my hands on. I've got the Blu-ray collection and something about his directorial style that I just really love. Again, probably going to go into that a bit more. But this being the very first one, it's just got such a specific element to it that's just so fascinating to me from a filmmaking perspective. I love that it's on Netflix because loads of people can watch it whether they like or I'd recommend not watching if you don't like Nolan. But whether you've seen other Nolan's 
before or it's just something you want to dive into because of the genre or something new to see. I was really excited to see that that it was available because I've only ever watched it on my Blu-ray before. So that's why I chose it. Okay, and the synopsis timer starts now. So our protagonist is a man called Leonard Shelby. He's an ex- health insurance investigator. But the main crux of the film is the fact that he now has a type of amnesia that means he can't make short-term memories. The last memory he has of his wife being killed. And so it's his purpose in life now to try and hunt down and find the man who he suspects killed her and kill him. And the only way that he can remember what he's already done in his investigation is by writing himself notes. And the more permanent ones take the form of tattoos on his body and... The film is essentially um, the investigation unraveled in a very specific way, which I'm sure we'll dive into. Nice. We've had Kristen Nolan on here a few times, Helen. Inception, Prestige. Where does this one sit for you? Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> these guys were on the Inception or the Prestige episodes. Oh, yeah. There was um, another <laughs> Helen on the Prestige episode, but... Uh... Sure. Kind of pretty close. I've got the scores for those two, so we can see where it ranks Ooh. in terms of our Flixwatch ratings of Nolan. This was definitely the first Christopher Nolan film I saw. And it came at a really, really interesting time because we just had like the mega year of 1999. We survived the millennium and then this came out in 2000. And we'd already had kind of Fight Club as a bit of a teaser, but this was the ultimate mindfuck film. It was like, what did I just watch? What is going on? Who is this guy? Guy Pierce? He was thingy in Neighbours. What is Guy <laughs> Pierce doing in a film looking like this? Why all the tattoos? Who's this? What's going on? It was one of those like, wow, people. Which is, I love it. I feel like I've watched the film with Helen now. <laughs> Who's this? What's happening? When, when did this happen? <laughs> People were just talking about it. It was one of those ones that it was DVD gold. Like, you know, mm, you'd go down Blockbuster sort of and you'd be like, shit, Memento's been rented out again. I've got to wait until next weekend to try and watch it again and understand it. So it was... <laughs> I haven't seen it for a long, long time. So I was basically like, I have to watch it again because I didn't really know what was going on then. So there's no way I can remember it. It's just, it's really, really fascinating. And you can kind of see the mind of Christopher Nolan if you've watched this and then his other films and things that just really, really interest him are time and memory and revenge. (laughs) They're like his things, like he's really into that. So yeah, I've was delighted that you picked it so yeah I'm a big fan of this one I don't know if it's quite like Inception Prestige just a little bit below there for personal but I still think it's a really fascinating film even now Claire I am a an out and proud Nolan hater (laughs) oh his little face he's got such a little cute face (laughs) I watched this for the first time in 2020 i think before that the only nolan films i had seen were the batmans and inception had i seen anything else i genuinely don't think i had so in fairness i don't think i was like a nolan hater i just wasn't a nolan fan and i didn't get the hype Mm. Because I was like, I don't know why everyone's mad about Tenant. Why are you all so excited for this film? I don't think many people are mad about Tenant. But no, this sorry. So when I was watching I all of these films, it was prior <laughs> to the release of Tenant. Sorry. So because of the release of Tenant, I um, was asked, I was at the time writing for cinechat.co.uk and we were doing a Nolan ranking. And I was like, not a fan of the man. I've only seen like a handful of his films. So I went and I watched 
all the films I could find, including Memento. I, for a normal person, gave Memento a very low ranking. Of my Nolan rankings, this was one of the highest. <laughs> it's all about perspective. <laughs> it was. It was very much about perspective. I admire it. I completely understand why the people that love it, love it. But as a personal thing, I don't like male-dominated narratives. I like a female perspective. I don't like time travel movies. And though this isn't a movie about time travel, it is a movie about time. And I, I didn't vibe with that. And I really don't like detective noir genre, as a genre. I've really set you up on this, haven't I? This is one of those films that it is so a not-for-me film, but I absolutely would never challenge anyone who says this is one of their favourite films because I see why people love it. But the reasons why other people love it are the reasons that I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> I mean, Nolan is very famous for not being able to write particularly great female characters. So that is kind of like, I love his films a lot, but whenever there's a female in it, it's just a bit like, he's not learned, has he? <laughs> <laughs> but it's I kind of accept that in his world that women exist for very limited reasons and which is women exist they do say right yeah, they, they exist. he's like okay well they advance the plot a bit and they're very beautiful and mysterious creatures for him but so I, I accept that as a criticism for Nolan but it doesn't make me love him any less yeah whereas I came to him so late I came to him so late in the game that I'm just like Okay, I get why he's your king, but he's never going to be my king. <laughs> not my, not my king. <laughs> I think it's very, very easy to be. This is speaking from my point of view. Kind of in the middle of Nolan because I'm like, I, I can see why it's exciting because it does put amazing things on screen. He does think of things differently, but certainly, do I want to watch Tenet again? No. Or was the Batman's? Do I want to watch again? Well, most of them. I think they're. All, I thought they're all great. To be fair, the only one I ever want to watch again is Dark Knight, and that's Heath Ledger and Heath Ledger alone. Well, I like Batman Begins. I think that's I think that's the most successful one in terms of mm. just the kind of straightforward for narrative and interest. But yeah, Inception and this, I, what I appreciate about Nolan is that he does think differently and he does kind of challenge you in the film. And I think I've seen this maybe, I've definitely seen it once before, maybe twice. The second time might have just been a, a hazy kind of student, like let's put this DVD on and not many people paying attention. So it's, it's not the best situation. It's not to really to one you this. can't pay attention but, to. No, exactly. <laughs> and then yeah, everyone's just like, look, everyone's watching it going, what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? So this time was like, okay, I need to create some time to watch this properly. And from the very first frame, you're like, there's that Polaroid. And you're like, what? This is kind of shaking his hand a bit weird. And you can see that sort of the Polaroid is being, is reversing from being developed to being undeveloped. So I was like, okay. So from right from the first kind of frame, you get the sense that it's not a standard, whatever that would be film. And I, I love it when there's the first time you realize that, oh shit, this is kind of gone in reverse. And then it's, that's kind of what propels the story more than I guess the story in itself. Like how is he, you're, you're following with him. So how's he going to uncover what's happened in the past? And that's what I think is quite interesting about detective films when they're good or, or mysteries when they are good or things like Knives Out. You're kind of trying to be there whether the detective or the, or the person is trying to figure things out. I don't know if the story stands, I know there's a version on some DVDs where you can watch it in chronological order. I'm not sure if it stands up would stand up that way but I don't think that matters because that's not the point of the film. The film is to kind of show this. That's not how it's designed to be watched. Yeah, exactly. But I do, I have watched it the normal way and it's just interesting because it's kind of like 
you're then watching it from the other character's perspective, which is really interesting. If you're really into the film, like I am, yeah, and you just want, you know, like when you just used to rinse the bonus features off of stuff, like it's like that, but so much more because you're still watching the film, but you're just getting this other perspective. And I think that's, it's like how people release, you know, like it's not the same, but you know how people are like, oh, we're releasing a black and white cut. And it's just, and everyone who doesn't like the film is like, why the hell would you bother? But it's just this <laughs> other, or a director's version. Also, it's like this really weird director's cut that makes it a whole new film in a way. But I agree, you shouldn't only, it, it shouldn't be judged on that alone. Yeah. Does he still feel like the lead character when you watch it that way? Yeah, because it's all—it's still yeah. his... You don't see any scenes that the other characters... Yeah, he's always the only... They don't have any without him. Yeah, it's all still told from his perspective. Do you still have the story with Demon Toblowski? Yeah, it's still all the same scenes. It's just told in the wrong order. And the reason it feels... <laughs> well, the right order. But it feels like... The reason you're seeing it from the other characters' perspective is because... The way that it's told, and I, I mean, I don't, we haven't actually been really explicit in terms of the way the story's told, but as Kobe sort of said, it, the scenes play out backwards, but then there's also flashbacks which play forwards. And then eventually by the end of the film, the flashbacks which were in black and white become colour and they become the central scene that you are watching that you've worked your way back to. So the crowning moment and the, the reveal of the mystery is actually the middle of the film, which is just so fascinating to me. Obviously, if you watch it in a chronological way, the reason you're getting the perspective of the other people is because you are seeing the scenes, knowing what's already happened. And that's how everybody else experiences life. The way that this movie works is to put you in Guy Pearce's character's shoes, which is you don't know what has just happened before the scene that you're watching. And that's how his short-term memory works. So that's why it works so well in terms of it's so smart working as a mystery thriller because you're actually, you don't know the clues to reach the end of the, of the conclusion, but only because you don't know what's just happened before, aka his situation. But if you were to watch it from the other way, you know exactly what's happening. And it's just so fascinating to me the way that it's told in this way, because that is like a protagonist narrative. Like that's so niche in that way that you can still watch it from someone else's perspective and it's the same thing happening, but it's a completely different story. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the comparison to Fight Club is, is really interesting. Actually, I hadn't thought about that before. You said that, Helen, and that there's a kind of a reveal that is like, oh, I didn't expect that. And, and this time, I don't remember if I remember that Sonny, what was it? Was Tim Toblowski's character called? Sammy Jenkins. Sammy Jenkins. Uh, yeah. So I don't remember. Someone calls him Jenkins, doesn't he? I don't remember if I realised that that was his story playing out as well as him re recalling it, as well as other things happening. Uh, you know, he was, well, what was playing out in his mind or how he's justifying his actions is based on this. But it's still a little bit ambiguous because. You're with his character the whole time and you only hear... So he, he tells the story about Sammy Jenkins, who is an old case of his, where he, the guy had short-term memory loss, but he claimed he couldn't claim on the insurance because it wasn't a physical impairment. It was a mental health issue because he didn't respond to conditioning. He eventually died, won't go with too much details there, but his wife was testing him and, sorry, his wife eventually died through a test with insulin and and yeah to, at the end aka the beginning <laughs> the middle of the story sorry it's kind of revealed by one of the supporting characters Teddy that the story that Guy Pearce's character has been telling isn't about Case 
that he worked on is actually what happened to him. Therefore, the narrator becomes an unreliable narrator in a whole other different light, because not only can you not remember what the scene that's just happened before, but can you even trust what you've seen? So that adds a whole other layer to it and just makes that ending hit even harder because one of the things I wanted to bring up was this idea of good and bad and morality because you're with Leonard the whole time and he's seeking revenge on someone who raped and killed his wife and obviously that's a horrific thing to have to go through and obviously he's also been damaged by the accident by having the amnesia as well but once you get to the end and you work out what is actually going on And you're sort of on the fence as you start to work out between all these people, what they're doing, who they are, are they using him? By the end, you have empathy for all of them, but they're also all quite bad people. But you don't know that until you know what you didn't know. (laughs) That makes sense. The way it's played out, if you watch it one way versus another, the heroes and villains are different. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting how you you can do that from a sense of the same scenes just like played differently one thing i definitely didn't remember was that essentially he kills teddy but teddy deceives him isn't john g but he kind of makes it out that he's like oh i need revenge anyway so you'll be close enough you'll be a john g and i'll i'll just get your number plate and tattoo it on on me so then i know that when it comes to my mind later on you're the person i'm looking for therefore i have uh he like manipulates himself and it's really interesting the other like self-incepting himself yeah the other key point so a lot of people call this a gimmick and I totally get why and Christopher Nolan has an obsession with time in his films but to me this isn't a gimmick this is the perfect way to tell this kind of story and it's not just because it lends itself well to a thriller and and a mystery and it makes sense with the protagonist but it's also about this idea of not being able to heal because he can't retain his memories and therefore he he can never heal his grief for his lost wife. And that's why he continues to search for John G and kill people that aren't the people he needs to is because he never gets the time to make new memories and heal from the incident. There's a scene where he hires an escort to pretend to be his wife. And it's not really clear why he does it, whether it's to try and get himself back into the situation to try and remember or or even just to try and forget it's whether is he trying to remember or is he trying to forget her who knows but he gets some of her stuff and he asks her to recreate the sound of the bathroom door going when he wakes up and discovers that she's been hurt etc so as much as the time and the narrative structure are, are a fun way of watching it and really put you into the story, I do think there's a deeper layer to why that's happening as well. And it tells us a lot about what the character's going through and what his motivation is, which you discover by the end of the film. So Helen, you talked about 1999 was the year of The Matrix, as well as Guy Pearce in this, we have Joey Pants. I love him uh, so much. And Carrie Moss. Lenny! is <laughs> like my favourite thing. We've had Joey Pants in a few films, haven't we? Midnight Run. Yeah, he pops up every now and again, doesn't he? Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts on just this in general and, and the, I guess the greatest cast of the, of the film? I think the cast is great and I'm a big fan of Georgia Fox as well, who plays his wife. But yeah, every, everyone is... From ER. From ER, of course. And CSI, CSI Vegas. Everyone is so great in this because you just can't tell what side they're on and... They're just very kind of ordinary people 
who've just ended up getting caught into this slightly strange situation. And they're kind of playing along with him. They're kind of messing him about a little bit. And they've all got kind of like an ulterior motive. And it's just really interesting because no one is particularly showy or kind of sticks out. They're all just kind of on the same level of just very broken, kind of confused people with not much going on and have just kind of got like a personal mission that is not necessarily a good moral mission. So yeah, I think it's a really kind of strong cast from that kind of period. And yeah, probably what happened to Carrie Moss? She kind of did The Matrix and then there was this and then didn't really kind of have another huge hit. She was in Jessica Jones. It's probably the most recent thing that I've seen her in of late, which I think she's brilliant in that. I do definitely want to, after watching this, I'm like, I want to watch more stuff from Carrie and Moss because I think she's brilliant in this. I was trying to think what else she's been in. That's been nice. Anyway, guys, we had to the scores and we can obviously carry on talking about Memento as we go. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. They are always out of five. You can have decimal places. And we'll start with you, please, Daisy, with your recommendability. I'm probably going to go for a three and a half for this one, which might surprise people. But that's purely just because I don't think this is one that I personally would recommend to the average Netflix watcher. Because you have to really be engaged. And I know that's not... From what I hear from people that aren't necessarily super into film like we are, it's not necessarily what people want when they chuck on Netflix, when they just want to watch a film and kind of get engrossed in something. So I'd save it for the people that have seen a lot. They like maybe things like a bit mind-bending, like you said, Helen, or they've seen other Nolan stuff and they're kind of into that, or they really like Detective. So there's little elements of the film that I would say there's a big group of people that I would recommend it for. But there's also a big group of people that I would be like, do you know what? This isn't an entry point, I don't think, for <laughs> for the average Netflix viewer based on like sort of people outside of sort of film watching habits per se. So a little bit lower, but I'm sure I'll make up for it in the other, <laughs> in the other scores. Claire? Very similar. It'd be 2.5 for me. For me to recommend this to someone, I'd need to know them. I thought you'd say I'd need to hate them. <laughs> No, no, not all. But I'd need to really know them. And like the case in point would be my brother and his partner. I would recommend this to my brother. I know my brother would love this. His partner? No way. This would kill her. She has like a variation of, you know, the disease where you can't recognise people's faces. Oh, face blindness. She can't cope. So we watched, what is that film that Seth Rogen is like the turnip brewer? It's like, and he plays two characters. Oh, as... Pickled or something like that. Yeah, it's like about pickles. We watched that movie. We watched the whole movie and multiple times in the movie, she was like, are they the same guy? (laughs) I said that about The Departed, but they're just all all, all old and white, so... 
Yeah, so, the part is quite difficult to like. That's it, but follow. But, so, like, there is no way I adore Carly, but Carly could never ever watch this movie. Whereas I know my brother Alan, but because I know him, I know his interests, I know his vibe, he would love this. So this is not an easy recommend. You have to know the person you're recommending it to, and once you it to that type of person, five total. Like you know they'll love it, but. <laughs> But it's just not one that you're just like flying off. Like, want to watch something good this weekend? Watch this. It's not that. Helen. I mean, I, I would disagree. I mean, this kind of structure is not like new. And like, for example, like The Last Duel came out last year, which adopts a similar sort of memory time structure. So like the structure itself is is still going strong in terms of filmmaking. Just that I think this version is a particularly great way of doing that. And I don't think it's that complex. I certainly watch films that are a lot more confusing and you get to the end and don't feel as though you've understood it. Like maybe Tenet, for example. <laughs> sure. Like, you've I'm got still like trying Tenet to work here. that one out. It's like a puzzle. <laughs> so Tenet is like, just look, you can't see my hand because it's a bit low. If someone said a Christopher Nolan film that isn't, a Batman film, what would you recommend? Tenet, I would not because I don't think it's very accessible. I think there's a few things about it and I haven't seen it again to go back to it and try and work it out. Whereas this, even though it's quite complex and there's a lot of things going on, you get to the end and you're like, the clogs kind of click into place and the story of it is actually quite simple. It's just the way that it's told is is slightly unusual so in terms of that they're like miles and miles and miles apart so this is just the structure is a bit unusual but the story is not unusual and you take if you if you'd have done it like in a completely linear way it would probably have been all right (laughs) but it wouldn't have been (laughs) as fascinating and engaging so I mean this is like ultimate catnip in terms of like film for me but I still think there's a lot in it and if you have seen his other films and you haven't seen this and like absolutely like you must watch this because this is top tier like super interesting Nolan where he really focuses on story and kind of not the, recreating the a nuclear bomb it. you know yeah so <laughs> I'm gonna go like maybe like a 4.7 and sort of say like if you kind of like interesting films and you've got a thing for Guy Pearce and you like Fight Club and like because he's naked in this isn't he Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) I agreed with that far too quickly (laughs) (laughs) you like The Matrix basically if you liked a lot of the top films from 1999 there's quite a lot of yeah little key things for people to hook into if they like something else I think which is a really interesting point I think it's one of the it obviously wasn't his debut, but for kind of like Feels his like first it like, big I can never film, get my yeah, it it's just like, where did this kid come from? He's got some talent. <laughs> this was all filmed by people saying, yes, yeah, from the guy who made Memento. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, fine, okay. So, you know, it's at least got, there's a stamp of quality to it and there's, and there's a stamp of differentiation to it that other filmmakers, or it's difficult to garner. And it's not, it's, it doesn't feel like a gimmick at all, really, because it just it sits perfect within the story. And I still don't understand really how he weaved the story together in my mind. How on earth do you create that and make it make sense? 
it must have been like lots and lots of paper on the wall with like lines going to and from and stuff like that. So I think everything, it's like a, a little miracle. I would recommend, I'm quite high with Helen Pro 4.5 because I think it's like, guys, watch it to see what kind of film can do that's not really like smash, you know, big special effects and things like that. And if you don't like it within the first 15 minutes, then switch off. This is one of those films I think watch it pay attention and if you're not into it in the first 15 minutes then it's probably not for you whereas other films i'll probably say yeah don't even try and watch it in terms of people looking different i did note this time that they tried to make everyone you know they had the guy with the with, the, with that long mustache oh, mustache, and he had teddy so yeah jimmy the first jimmy g so everyone did look different and i think you need that kind of thing with in the within the story that's kind of complex so people are noticeably different so there could have been more women in there there could be more people of color in there to make it just stand out a bit more and so you can help track what's going on and things like that but otherwise yeah i think it's it's one that you recommend because you think you should definitely try and watch this film i think so 4.5 repeat viewing score i'm actually gonna go for a 4.5 on this one because i've already told my boyfriend who hasn't seen it we're watching it this weekend even though i watched it last night (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those where i'm actually blessed with not so great memory in that i like re-watching films because I very rarely remember the details and I like rediscovering it again. If I know I like a film, but I can't really remember everything that's happened in it, that's perfect because it means that I know I'm going to like it, but I get to kind of experience it again. For me, this is rewatchable because there's so many little details. Once you know what structure is and the story is, you want to go back and view it from a different way. Other people would disagree and say that's exactly why they wouldn't want to watch it because they know what the answer is now, but I don't think this film is for those people <laughs> anyway. So yeah, higher score, 4.5 for me on rewatchability because I just want to notice every detail. And I also want to watch it with people and watch them like this. <laughs> just stare at them as they discover what's happening. Just watch their mind explode. Which is what I plan to see this weekend. <laughs> yeah, do tell us what your boyfriend, or how he reacts. I did the same with my wife for a particular episode of Game of Thrones. And I recorded it for <laughs> Nice. <laughs> People might know what that episode is. I'm going to assume what that is. I'm like, one of three. One of three <laughs> episodes. <laughs> Claire, repeat me in school. So I really surprised myself with this one, but it's a one from me. Oof. Oof. I watched this for the first time in 2020, and I remember that I enjoyed it. When I went back to my letterbox, apparently I hadn't, so I misremembered my enjoyment. But re-watching it... I was so pissed off because I remembered that there's a twist. And I remembered that there's a point in which you realise he's an unreliable narrator. And I remembered there's a point where you realise he's a bit of a dick. But I could not remember the reason why he was a dick. So the whole film, I was like, can we just hurry up? Can we just... Because I, I remembered enough to remember the conceit and I remembered enough to remember where it was leading, but I couldn't remember the central kind of click bit. And so I was just really annoyed. And I just kept getting more and more frustrated. I rewatched it last night and my housemate kept walking past me and I was like, I'm really annoyed at my movie. Like, <laughs> I just, it just did not work for me on a, re- I think again, I really admire the filmmaking. I really admire the screenwriting. I admire that, especially for when it came out, this hadn't been done too often. We've seen it a lot now, but it was kind of original-ish when it came out. On a rewatch, it just didn't do it for me. And I can never see myself rewatching it ever again. I really enjoyed rewatching this. I remember, I think I probably watched it maybe at least a second time, maybe a third, not long after it came out on DVD, but I hadn't watched it for so long. I don't think I have the DVD anymore, so that'd be why. 
I really enjoyed my brain trying to fill in the gaps and trying to spot the clues. And yeah, my brain was just like really, really working overtime. And I think it's one that really is rewarding and you want to watch it again and you want to see where the clues are and you want to think, oh, should I have noticed that? What's the significance of that? Why are we seeing that bit there? So I'm with Daisy with a 4.5 repeat. So I, I'm going to give this a five, even though I've watched it two, maybe three times. And often when we explain what the repeat viewing score to people is, is for me, there's two kind of high repeat viewing score sides. One is film that you've seen so many times. It's just like ingrained in your life and you can watch it at a drop of a hat and, you know, it's probably most most films. The second is a film where you just have to watch it again. Maybe not watch it often, but you just have to watch it again because it's like... yes. Leave it with enough time that you kind of forget a few details is my favourite kind of length to leave it with something like this. This is the epitome of the film that you just have to watch again for me. Like, what happened exactly? And then you're like, oh, okay, I'll peel back. And it's like trying to peel back the onion skin. I feel I need to watch the other version where it's told chronologically to help just complete a few things in my mind. And like, there's one thing hanging, which I still quite don't get, is when the motel owner takes into his room and says, oh, actually, this isn't your room. Yeah. I was like, they quite often showed the key to his room, which is 304. So I don't quite understand what's going on with that kind of interaction. Yeah, that's still a thread hanging for me as well. So I might have to investigate that one. So there's still still more things to pull out there. But yeah. Do you not think it's just to highlight the fact that he is easy to take advantage of? It's just like really hammering at home. He's so susceptible. Yeah, it might be that it is genuine that that's what the guy was doing, was, was rinsing him for another room. My slight takeaway, one of my slight downsides of the film is when there's a conceit like this, like someone's got narcolepsy, someone's got a thing, it's always done conveniently for the, the timing of the narcolepsy or the timing of the memory loss is convenient for the scene. Like when Carrion Moss, when he when he actually beats up Carrion Moss, it turns around within within a minute, he's, he's forgotten where he's at, but sometimes it takes... What I will say about that, I was watching it thinking the same thing. And what I did notice, which is smart, or I've applied it and they haven't thought about it, but I can't imagine the Nolans not thinking about this, is that when he's stressed, it's worse. And in that moment in time, he wanted to remember so badly. I was paying real attention to the dialogue and he just kept saying to himself, remember, write it down, find a pen, remember, find. And if you're saying that over and over to yourself, you're not thinking about what you need to remember. You're only thinking about finding a pen. And because I was thinking exact moment that scene and I'd like to watch it again which I will and think about and see if there's a connection in the other scenes as well about how quickly because things like he said I'm bad at talking on the phone because there's no visual cues things like long conversations and stuff so I just I'd love to pick up and be because there's one way sitting on the toilet and he's waiting to and he has the shower so he has a shower so basically we see him in the shower but prior to that he'd literally gone into someone else's hotel room to wait for them and to attack them and because he's sat there and he doesn't remember what immediately happens before he decides to take the shower then but do you remember he didn't sleep that night he had the escort over the night before and then he burned all of his wife's things and then it shows him at like dawn and then he goes and finds Dodd. See, this is the thing. Like, until you've watched it the other way, sometimes <laughs> you forget what's just happened. Because I was like, why would he fall asleep after he's just Because he's been awake up? all night and he doesn't really remember what he's doing in that room. Because he's been awake all night. And that's why when he sits down on the toilet, he's like, I don't feel drunk, but he's tired and 
discombobulated is a great word. And that's why he's like, I don't know if this is my hotel room. I'll have a shower and wake up. And it's just like, oh God, they really, sometimes you think they haven't thought of it. And I'm like, oh, I think, I think they have. They might not have thought of everything, but there's a few bits on, a, on this rewatch that I was thinking the same thing, Helen. And I was like, I'm going to try and pay attention to that. I'm going to pull at that thread, basically, and see where it goes. And I was... Unfortunately for the naysayers, I was satisfied every time that they had an answer. So like they've like they've worked that out. I'm sure there's a Reddit thread where we can we can pull on these. Oh my god! Oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to go to sleep <laughs> now. I just thought about going on that Reddit. <laughs> Small screen score. Do you know what? I'm probably going to go for a three and a half for this one because. I think it's a beautifully shot film. I think it's reminiscent of the time, but also quite timeless in that it doesn't feel like it's, you can see that it's late 90s, early noughties, but it doesn't it doesn't feel too dated. I love that, I mean, I'm assuming it's shot on film. It looks beautiful. I like all the colour grading. I think the way that it's shot, it's really, it's not too over showy in the way that it's shot, whereas some of the newer Nolans are a bit more bombastic in that way. But in order to appreciate the film, it's much more about the character, much more about the dialogue. And there's a lot of close-ups and shot reverse shots that I don't think you would get too lost on a smaller screen. However, if you do want to experience it properly and look for those tiny details and be really immersed, I wouldn't say watching it on the phone is the best way to watch it. So three and a half for me. Yeah, very similar. It's a 2.5 for me, but for a lot of the similar reasons. My first watch was at home in my living room on my big TV full attention still not the cinema but had my full attention and I was able to follow it this time don't have a tv so watched it on my laptop and a lot of it was lost because it is a film that demands your attention because you have to pay full attention to follow the plot to follow the, the hints to follow the sneaky little background bits and I, it was just lost on my laptop because the cats were coming in and out. My housemate was walking past and it could not hold my attention on the small screen, in the small, small screen, as opposed to the medium small screen where I previously watched it. <laughs> so what's your score, sorry? Uh, 2.5. Helen? Yeah, so apart from the Nolan film that I haven't seen, I've seen all of his films at the cinema, which is the way I think old Chris would want us to view all of his films. Well, there's, there's no think about it. That's the way he wants yeah, to Yeah, he was very it. pure about that. You're dead to him. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want, he's like, don't even buy a ticket. Don't even buy my DVDs, just out. <laughs> and obviously like, I love the cinema experience, but I think this is probably quite along the same lines as kind of like insomnia, prestige levels of home viewing. I think it's obviously better in, in the cinema but I think for those ones there is an element that is less of the kind of like inception interstellar Dunkirk kind of dark night big big cinema moments so and also I think if you're watching it at home if you didn't kind of get something you can pause and go back which you can't do in the cinema so I'm going to give it a four for small screen okay I'm going to go 3.5 because I'm getting a stupid score for a while. <laughs> I think I, I would definitely want to watch this in the cinema on a viewing at least once. So that's why I'm giving it a slightly lower score. I think it does quite well on a small screen, but I think just generally, I think this would look would be really cool. And you'd be there with other people who are watching it who enjoy the film as well. So I think the collective experience would be interesting. Engagement score, Daisy. It's got to be a five. I really try to not 
look at my phone and to not go and do other things, etc. when I'm watching films at home. But it's very, very difficult. This film last night, I forgot about the rest of the world for the not, I think it's just under two hours. There was a moment where I started to kind of like start thinking about something else. And then I missed a key moment of dialogue, which when he was explaining about why he still thinks John Dee is out there. And I did rewind that. But I think that just kind of goes to prove my point even more that you want to make sure you're paying attention to everything and you have to, to really get the full experience. And I just love it. It's one of the films that got me into film. So I would never turn it off. I would watch it at every opportunity. And it's one of those films where if you know what's happened and you've watched it more recently, you can just drop yourself in the middle of it because it's not even in any kind of logical order anyway. So you can kind of find your footing from where you are. So it definitely would be one that I, if I was flicking around channels, if I ever did that again, I would definitely stop to watch. There's no, other than if I've watched it too much (laughs) in the last few periods of time or whatever, there's no reason why I would ever turn it off or stop paying attention. So it's got to be a perfect score for me. Claire? I don't want to say. <laughs> I won't be offended. Chris Nolan will, though. Chris, uh, <laughs> me and Chris have so many beefs. I watched Dunkirk <laughs> because of that man. And Jesus, I want those times back. Oh, just, oh, I had an argument on Twitter about how much I hated that film. So Memento, engagement for me be a 1.5. Re- if it was not for this podcast, I would have turned it off. I cannot tell you how many times watching it last night, I was like, Will I just turn it off and read the Wikipedia summary and just pretend I rewatched oh, it? No. I was so okay. I, my heart. I was so it. miserable rewatching <laughs> no this last time. for you next year, then. <laughs> the worst thing is, I'm gonna go and see it because he just gets the best casps. I want to see those people at their peak, but I just know I will not enjoy it. It was physically painful. Watch, trying to force oh my myself to engage with this last night. And I think the worst thing is I really thought I had enjoyed it on my last watch. So I was like, oh, I'm interested to rewatch it and see if it holds up. And when I then went back to my old score, I'd actually only given it a 3.5. Are you thinking of a different No, film? I just... I wonder why you thought... Because I hate Nolan that much that I remember this being the bright spot on the Nolan marathon. Right. <laughs> but okay. a bright spot sure. in a bad spot is not that bright. <laughs> yeah. All I wanted to do last night was turn this off. I checked how far along in the... Sorry for ruining it. It's fine. I checked how far I was along <laughs> in the running time at least seven times throughout the film. I was <laughs> desperate for it to end. That's a bad sign, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so sorry to everyone out there. Helen. A stone cold five, like absolute, like, yeah, yeah, every time. It's just, it's just a great way of telling a story that's super interesting and really like niggles in your brain. I'm going for five as well. I think it's, again, it's a perfect example of where if you're not feeling it, then you're not going to be, you're not looking at it, get the most out of it. So you have to be ready and engaged to go some coffee next to you, not beer, for example. Eyes pinned back and I open. I don't feel drunk. <laughs> so that gives an overall score of 3.7645. I thought it was going to break the four barrier, but it was, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's you, Claire. I'm so sorry, but... Uh, you, she brought us down. No, listen. Don't ask Claire to talk, Nolan. <laughs> Everyone, my score overall was 4.5. Helen's score overall was 4.55. Daisy's score was 4.12. 
Claire scored 1.87. Ouch. Uh, I wasn't. Give it a three out of five on Letterboxd and solely because <laughs> if it was me. But on here, that's the main thing. Do you know why that is? Because for me, it's a one and a half star film, but I admire the filmmaking. I admire the craft. I admire the performances. So I can't give it less than a three. But when we break it down in this way, in terms of how I feel about it, it's so low. Well, on the Flixwasher rankings, you won't be surprised to learn that it is in third place and then it's The Prestige with 4.06 and then it's Inception with 4.45. Oh, I quite fancy rewatching that now. Actually. And now, is that of all the films or just Nolan films? No, just the Nolan ones. Where they rank in the whole table of Flixwatcher. So it's Prestige above, oh, in, the, in every film you've ever done? All of them, that's where Christopher Nolan comes. You should have let me on those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but that is how I'd rank Nolan, so I can't disagree with it within Nolan rankings. Well, guys, let's head to Twitter. We've had a decent response for this film. And if you are listening and you don't follow us on Twitter, we are at FlixWatcherPod. And do follow us because we talk about Netflix films, we talk about other films and bits and pieces. But the main reason to follow us is because we ask for your opinion in a tweet, something like this. We're reviewing Memento with Claire Ellen Hope and Daisy Vic Edwards. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts and a score out of five stars for a shout out on FlixWatcherPod. Daisy, this is your film. Do you want to take one of the tweets? Yeah, sure. I'll take one from James Rodriguez, who has joined us on our W-rated podcast before and is an absolute delight. He said, a phenomenal thriller where the gimmick, <laughs> quote marks, is absolutely integral to the engrossing tale, a masterpiece from front to back. The full five, an all-time fave of mine, and now James is an all-time fave of mine. <laughs> Claire, do you want to take one? Yeah, I'll go for the podcast nobody asked for, who are equally friends of ours. An effective thriller that was light years ahead of its time, a strong four stars. Beautiful. So from regular contributor and past guest, Liam H. Dempsey, still one of Nolan's best to this day. Startlingly original in concept and in its bold structure, but Guy Pearce's vital central turn carries us through and always has the audience gripped. One of the best endings ever, question mark, exclamation mark, five gold stars. And last one for you, Daisy. So Russell Bailey said, a core film in my teenage years spent watching cool movies. I totally understand what he means by that. But a cracking thriller, even beyond the bravado of its style and pointed the way for where Nolan would go next. Five stars. Yeah, I mean, it cost nine million to make, made 40 people in Hollywood pay attention to that. And that's before, I guess, DVDs kind of really skyrocketed it that's, I mean that's where I saw it mm. so yeah it was it guided his way Daisy Claire thank you very much for joining us can you just say where people thank can find you. you online quickly and we'll say goodbye to listeners you can find me at Claire Ellen Hope Claire without the I on Twitter and Instagram and sometimes lurking behind the W rated pod Twitter we also have a letterbox and Instagram which we rarely use but one day we will start <laughs> using them again <laughs> Paul and I'm on at Daisy Vic Edwards on Twitter and Daisy Victoria Edwards on Letterboxd and Instagram. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for bringing Memento on. It's been a pleasure talking about it and I will spend time on Wikipedia and Reddit trying to understand <laughs> the piece about the room and the motel. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank Bye. you. 
enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast, why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them FlixWatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.